1: That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022.
0: I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Sean Quinn. And you're listening to T D P S presents Christopher and Eric. Big episode today. Big, big, big. Big, big and
1: and important to us. So yes. Particularly this is kind of our pet episode, our pet I, case. I don't know what is, to
0: call it. The case that we are obsessed this with. This is
1: our obsession. In fact, that's how it began.
0: Yeah. That is how it began. Um, later in the show, we'll be doing an installment of True Crime TV Club. But before that, we're going to be joined by our first ever in-studio guest on Christopher and Eric. We had plenty of in-studio guests on the dinner party show. He
1: rolled his eyes. I'm, sure, I'm not sure how he felt
0: well, about it. No, I was it. doing a hand gesture. <laughs> I pointed at the ceiling and sort of was trying to emphasize the number of guests we've had before. But for this Huge podcast, number. this podcast... Um, we will be joined in studio for the first time. Lady
1: Ann was our first guest. That's right. In the
0: studio. Absolutely. Um, Detective John Lamberti is going to be here. We've interviewed him before over Zoom. The reason we have interviewed him is because, I believe two years ago now, on the 30th anniversary of it, we covered the murder of a young man named William Arnold Newton here in West Hollywood. We believe the murder took place someplace between West Hollywood and Hollywood. His remains were discovered the morning after he was last seen leaving a nightclub in West Hollywood called Rage, which is now closed. Uh, it was 1990. It was the Halloween season, which means there was a big street festival
1: ramping up here in town. So lots of out-of-town tourists and general sort of hubbub. And Sunday night's are pretty big gathering place in the in that part of West Hollywood anyway right
0: so we'll take you we've done multiple previous episodes about this but we're going to try to set up the basic facts of the crime now so that when uh, Lamberti is here with he says his latest updates on the case right. you have some familiarity with it but if you do want to go back into our archives episode 98 is the most recent episode I believe it was a year ago it was the anniversary the 31st anniversary right. we summarized most of what we knew about the case We've had our own journey with this. When we first started talking about the case, we opened up an email address called William Newton Investigation at gmail.com. Uh, we did receive an email that has possibly changed the course of the investigation today. And that was from a gentleman named Ron Wheeler, who gave us permission to use his name, who claimed that he was in Rage Nightclub, that he was among the last people to see Billy alive and that he watched Billy leave the nightclub in the company of a man who he has identified as Jeffrey Dahmer. Or someone who looks remarkably like Jeffrey Dahmer looked
1: at the time of his arrest later the following year. Yeah, he didn't identify him as that at the moment. It was later when he saw Dahmer arrested and saw him on television that he realized and made the connection. As a result of that...
0: Uh, John Lamberti with the LAPD got in touch with us because he heard our podcast, which we're still astonished by, has spoken to Ron Wheeler. Uh, Other people have started to pay attention to the case. But let me just give you kind of the facts of what we know. So uh, Billy was a young man who was on the verge of moving out of Los Angeles uh, he had performed in multiple porn films. He had been part owner of a porn company that had gone out of business with his ex-boyfriend. Right. Who operated under the professional name of David Ray. Uh, he was going to move in with his sister in Las Vegas and his mother. Uh, this was uh, Sunday, October 30th, 1990. Um, was, or was it Sunday? I always get confused. I confuse the date of the discovery of his Sunday remains. Sunday was the 29th. Right, correct. The 29th. He was maybe days away from taking a bus to Las Vegas. Like
1: three days, like the first yeah. of the month. He was he was staying with um, on kind of on the sofa. He was sofa surfing. Mm-hmm. With a couple of friends who had an apartment up on Doheny, which is yeah. just around the corner from um, where he was last seen.
0: They technically lived in Beverly Hills, just over the border, but it was right next to all of the West Hollywood night spots. And so on the last day that he was seen alive, it's believed, he told his roommates he was going to meet them later that evening, but that he was going to go rent a video. Um, instead, there's no record of him renting a video. He walked up to Rage Nightclub. It was still light out. Um, He was apparently dating one of the bartenders who was too busy hanging Halloween decorations to really talk to him. At this point, Ron Wheeler claims that he was introduced to Billy for the first time by mutual friends who were at the club. Ron spotted this attractive gentleman by himself at the bar, tried to hit on him, struck out, then watched Billy hit on this uh, this gentleman and leave the bar with him. Uh, The information that Billy had left the bar with a stranger is not something that became evident to police until our podcast, 30 years after the murder. So we're talking about a murder that was investigated uh, during a time of great mistrust of law enforcement by the LGBT community. Um, after Billy's body was found, questioning was done, but people weren't very forthcoming. This was not an era in which he wanted to tell the police who had been in a gay bar. It could destroy people's lives. When they
1: interviewed Billy's roommates, they asked him where they were and they told him they were at a church social. Yeah. Wasn't that it? Yeah. Which is like, okay, so you don't want to say, right? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: The the story for a lot of people begins the morning after. Monday morning, um, we spoke to a detective named Mike Bircham, uh, who at the time was in the gang's unit and had been serving warrants that morning and was sitting down at a popular breakfast place that was actually later featured in the movie Pretty Woman. It's no longer in business. <laughs> and a transient comes walking in and recognizes him as a plainclothes um, police officer and says, you got to come out back. There's a body in the back. To which Bircham responds... Allegedly, and this was hard for Eric Shaw Quinn to accept, medical waste is routinely discovered in dumpsters by transients and mistaken for being evidence of a murder. So Bertram is not very upset or worked up as he goes around to the back. But sure enough, when he pops the lid of the dumpster, he uh, stares down into it. He sees a trash bag the transient has torn open. And in his own words, staring up out of it was one of the bluest eyes he had ever seen. And in this bag was Billy's severed head, his severed feet, and apparently the shirt that he had been wearing. Uh, And so that is how, and that is the only reason the murder of Billy Newton was discovered. If that transient had not popped the dumpster lid at that time, if he had not been on that alley, these body parts would have just vanished into the wind. They would have gone to a landfill.
1: I'm not sure the feet were in the same... You're right. I head. think the
0: feet were in a different bag in that it dumpster. It was just the head
1: yeah. that they found initially, and it caused them to go through the contents of the rest of the dumpster, and they recovered the shirt and the right. feet. Um, what in the process.
0: some people have told us that we talked to previously is that at the time the police did not want to go wide with the story because they did not want the cranks falling out of the trees claiming credit. That's, you know, whether that's the case or not. We've not spoken to... Um, any of the cops who were initially involved with the case. But in shortly here, we will be joined by the detective who has inherited the case decades right. later. So, I, did I leave anything out? I want to. We want to give people the basic facts so that when John comes, we can just sort of get
1: right into it with him. I think that's really. There has never been any. You know, subsequent. They've interviewed the boyfriend. They've interviewed people, but there's never been any subsequent. The biggest break that has happened recently, I think, mm-hmm. was our revelation that. Of, of of a witness who was possibly one of the last people to see, yeah, uh, Billy alive. Other than, uh, other than the murderer, um, I think that's it. Yeah. I, the only other thing I would add at this point, just as a sort of point of interest, was what happened with us was a sort of combination of the hometown crime feature mm-hmm. from my favorite from my favorite murder, yeah. and. Um, Michelle McNamara. Yeah. Like, she was really inspirational. We had watched I'll Be Gone in the Dark. If you haven't seen it, it is really kind of a remarkable exploration of obsession and citizen investigations. Mm -hmm. And where we are with that, with um, the connections that we all have because of the internet and whatever. But... We did an episode about crimes that we were obsessed with, things Mm -hmm. that we remembered, and this is one of the things that came up. And Mm -hmm. we got started with it, and and here we are with LAPD coming in to actually talk to us more, update us and you, um, with more details of where we are with this investigation of the death of Billy Newton 32 years ago. (laughs)
0: Eric! Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet?
1: That depends. Are we at
0: the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance
1: between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better.
0: Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press. When a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy
1: scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon, come get this seagull! I
0: can't help it if my writing Uh, sets the scene. I
1: I, I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich?
0: Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books.
1: and fuckchristopherricebooks.com. This
0: ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Okay, we're back, and I think this is our first in-studio guest on... Christopher and Eric on the new podcast. I th- absolutely,
1: and I, I, we're honored that it's you. Welcome back, John. Thank you very much. You've um, done the show before, but by Zoom I or think, something. Yeah. Yes, I the last time remember.
2: it was by Zoom. I was uh, on a camping trip, and I was uh, I had no cell phone service at the uh, campsite, so I had to drive to a. It was a cow pasture in Temecula where I first where I had service. <laughs> wow! wow.
1: <laughs> Live from a cow pasture in Temecula.
0: But yeah. uh, Detective John Lamberti is here with us in the Dinner Party Show studio, the
2: TDPS studio today.
1: And you came to us to begin with after discovering the podcast, right?
2: That's how I originally found you guys. Yeah, yeah. that's really
1: yeah. kind of we're still amazed by
2: that. Yeah, that's a, it started a whole uh, whole rabbit hole of uh, new investigation into this case. So I'm I'm glad you guys guys did it.
1: Well, let, let's
0: kind of talk about where where you are. I, I mean, we're right now. This episode is posting on the dark anniversary of Billy's murder, which is October 30th, 1990. Yeah. is when are we saying that's the murder or was that when the body was dis- the pieces of his body well, were Well, he was
2: last seen on the 29th yes. and so he was murdered sometime between the, the you know the afternoon of the 29th and the morning of the 30th.
0: And uh, Eric has wisely said during our conversations about this case that given the speed and efficiency of the dismemberment that has always led us to believe that whoever uh, abducted him or met up with him was planning to kill him in short order. I realize that's or highly someone. speculative, but
2: it, it, I mean it is it is speculative. But the, you know, a lot of a lot of this case is, is a lot of speculation. But yeah, that's what I would I would gather. You know, this isn't something that happened spur of the moment. I don't think. No, it's just
1: too yeah. It is too well organized yeah, to yeah. have been. It's. A big—that's a big undertaking.
2: It is a big undertaking. Yeah, I mean, if you—you know—I go to autopsies all the time, and, and you know, the the human body is pretty resilient, and to, to be able to dismember it in in that manner, uh, that
1: quickly, yeah, it's it's not yeah, easy. The following morning, yeah, yeah to I be mean, packaged and in, in a dumpster.
0: You're was... you're talking about the technical skill on the one hand, and then you're talking about the complete absence of squeamishness about the process on the other.
2: Yeah, I know? mean, you have to. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think you start uh, your career as a murderer. By dismembering, you know, like you got to work up to that. I would right. would imagine.
1: I would think, and yeah, there was no sense of hesitation in it. He was very cleanly, um, dismembered, yeah. and bagged, and and then distributed. Only a few parts were even found. Right, his
2: uh, all we have is his head and his feet, basically. Mm. God. So where are you with it now? So after uh, you guys did your your podcast now is almost two years ago at this point. Um, that prompted me to, uh, kind of reopen the whole case and and do a really deep dive, Mm. um, in conjunction with, uh, um, Rachel Mason, who's doing a film on, on the case, Mm -hmm. who was already planning on doing a film independently of any of this happening. Uh, so I've, kind of work with her and, and kind of let her in on a little bit of the process uh, of of what i'm doing but right um what i did is i took all the crime scene dna or all the crime scene evidence basically and i had our lab just reanalyze everything and mm. i mean that it's a it was a lot uh all the stuff from the dumpster where he was found there was a shirt there was uh the bags that his body parts were in a shirt, his shirt, his shirt, yeah, uh, the shirt that he was wearing. Uh, the bags that his body parts were in. He um, was
1: just thrown in there, or it was part of, it was bagged with. They him. were
2: bagged like the uh, the shirt was thrown in. Uh, okay, then body parts were bagged up oh. inside the.
1: Did not realize that. Yeah,
2: inside the bags there were um, human hairs that hadn't been uh, found before that we had. They were just sitting in there that. They'd never really been analyzed in all of the, the previous years. Right. You know, the lab technicians went through, uh, you know, the the bags and they found uh, a few human hairs. Mm. So I was able to uh, do some DNA testing on, uh, not me, uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. I am it's not, it's that not sm- your hobby. I am not yeah. that smart. <laughs> right. Uh, I w- but we had we had the DNA testing done on some of these hairs. Uh and some uh, a couple of other um, pieces of uh, biological material that we found in the bags. And we did find male DNA that did not belong to Billy Newton. Mm. Unfortunately, there is not enough mm. uh, to upload it to the National DNA uh, Database. Mm-hmm. So you need... Um, and it gets really technical, but our DNA is made up of, uh, you know, different amino acids, and they, they form what's called alleles. And you need a certain number of alleles to be able to upload the DNA to, a data, to uh, the national database. It's called right. CODIS is the name of the database. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have enough. Uh, uh-huh. There's a very strict standard that, that the FBI has for being able to upload a, a sample. So we don't have enough to do uh, an upload. So my next my next thing was, you know, obviously we were talking about Dahmer as a, a possible suspect. Right. So I asked our lab, do we have enough? If I found Dahmer's brother, uh, do we have enough to do a direct comparison?" And they said we don't even have enough to do a direct comparison. All we can all they can really tell from the DNA at this point is that it's from a, a male who is not Billy. So the standard for uploading to CODIS
0: yes. is is about whether or not you have enough for the system to work. It's not a legal standard that says we're not even going to bother with you unless you have a significant amount of a potential suspect's DNA.
2: Yeah, and it's it's to prevent, you know, uh, innocent people from being caught up because, you know, everybody, you know, our, our DNA is like 98 percent the same for all right. of us. And it's, right. There's yeah. a very small amount that's different. So, um, and I, I'm not going to even begin to try to talk Like the guy from Southern
1: it. California got busted for bombing the train in Spain who'd never been to Spain.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I, I see. So there's not enough for them to really zero in on the uniqueness of, of the... Sam- there's not Correct. enough uniqueness to, the, to a
2: sample of that size. Right. I, okay. And we can't, you know, there, there's the familial DNA. We can't, we don't have enough for that. We don't even have enough for a direct comparison. And I found... Dahmer's brother. Uh, he changed his name. He's living a life, I'm not going to say where. Yeah, good. Uh, but, uh, he doesn't I, deserve to be punished. No. Uh, but I was, I was ready to go track him down and, and get a, a DNA sample from him had we had enough to work with. but The point was. Yeah.
1: That's a shame. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So I felt like I stopped you when you were in the middle of talking about some other stuff, but I think the CODIS stuff... People think they know all about that from stuff they've seen on television, yeah. but what we see presented to us on crime scene, people they call it the CSI effect, right? Yes. Juries will have an inflated expectation of the forensic science they should be presented with because they're going off of what they've seen on television, right. and the reality is often a lot more complicated. But, no, and it's yeah. not,
2: it's something that I, even, I didn't even learn till I... Even as a detective, I didn't learn this until I became a homicide detective because we we interact with the DNA system so much. But it's it's a
1: very, very strict standard that they have. So what do they mean by touch DNA? Because that would seem very – like a very slight kind of sample and yet they seem to make – Pretty big assumptions based on it.
2: Uh, it's it's not assumptions. It's you know, touch DNA is like you know, wherever we go, we're leaving little bits of ourselves right. everywhere. So, you know, I'm am touching this desk in front of me. I'm gonna I'm I'm leaving my DNA all over this desk. Right. And we've had I, I just uh, went to a preliminary hearing on a case where uh, a homeless man in Hollywood here was uh was beaten with a wooden stick, oh. and at the scene, uh, I swabbed the stick for DNA and put that into uh, CODIS, and we got a, a hit and we found the guy. Um, wow. So that was just from, from touch DNA. Uh, so,
1: so it's that. So the fragments that you found are that fragmentary. Yeah, then and they're even less than what you would get from just holding a stick.
2: Well, no, that's – that. Oh, oh, you're talking about in the in the dumpsters. Yeah. Yeah, it's even less than that. I mean, we're talking about minuscule amounts. God, that yeah. really is a tiny amount. Yeah, yeah that, I, the fact I was that trying they're to even, get some perspective. Yeah, the fact they're, that they're even a, able to find that – you know, in in, you know, in this, and and who's to say, you know, uh, you know where, you know, this was from one of the hairs that's in
1: in a bag, but, you know,
2: it, it was a dumpster.
1: I mean, it could have, know. you know. Eric said that from the I've very beginning. i said that from the yeah. start. Yeah. I just don't know how you can count on any DNA from a dumpster. No, it's just it's too polluted a space to begin with. So where does this leave the investigation?
2: So uh, the other, you know, I I spent a long time. Uh, Digging into Dahmer's uh, comings and goings, basically, learned a lot about his background, about his crimes. Uh, read his complete FBI file, which is uh, it's actually public on the uh, FBI website. If you're mm. ever, if you're interested in reading it, it's it's fascinating. Wow. Um, but I learned that he uh, drugged his victims with this certain barbiturate, um, which the name escapes me at this. Point, but it's 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 a very specific barbituate. Right. So I had a I had a, a thought. Went, well, maybe maybe if Dahmer was involved and he drugged Billy, could I test his blood? Yeah. So I went in, went to our evidence uh, um, storage facility downtown, and I actually checked out a vial of. Billy's blood, and I was holding it in my hand, and it was, you know, this is not something that I often do, wow. um, So, and it was a, a vial of blood that was taken out as autopsy, and it, it just kind of gives you a, a little bit of a chill. I mean, you'd be sitting there, you know, holding the, yeah. the, oh, the actual blood of a, a murder victim, and our, our crime lab people do that all the time, but I that's not something I normally do, but I had right. to go look to see, you know, how much do we have, do we have enough to test uh, for for this barbiturate and and we had a decent sized vial, so I sent that off to the uh, LA County Coroner. They tested it, and it did not have uh, any traces of of that in it. Did it have any traces of narcotics at all? Uh, well, that was originally tested for. So um, the uh, the dirty little secret in in the murder world is, you know, the coroner only tests for right. uh, yeah. X number of drugs. You know, they don't they, they can't test for they can test for anything, but they have to know what they're testing for. They, right. There's a standard screen of, like, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, all the common things. And right. he uh, he did have methamphetamine in his blood, mm. um, but we knew that going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was some yeah. history of that. Yeah. There was a history of that, yeah.
0: And it was uh, Sunday. We were talking about this. This Sunday is the last time he was seen. It's kind of a big party day in yeah. West Hollywood. There's a tradition called tea dance. Um, which the joke is that hairdressers don't work on Mondays, so they started this big sort of soiree on Sunday evenings <laughs> to celebrate what was still part of their weekend. Yeah. And um, I don't know if this was the case then. We think it's the case because it was the Halloween season. The Halloween Street Festival was kicking up. But if you go down to this area that we're talking about where Billy was last seen at the site of formerly the Rage nightclub mm-hmm. on a Sunday evening, it's thronged with people, mostly gay men from, from the area who are out drinking and walking on the sidewalks. And, and as Eric mentioned earlier, I guess our hope has always been that it was a touristy enough moment and area that somebody out there has footage that they took with friends, and somewhere in the background is or Billy leaving, or something oh God, yeah. with whoever Ron Wheeler saw him
2: leave the bar
1: with. That, that you would know. have
2: been amazing. That's, yeah. you know,
1: we continue to ask for it. Yeah, you know, we continue to suggest it to uh, listeners and to, you know send it to the. The, the, to the email address and,
2: and that's one of the things i think we talked about i, I don't if, remember if it was on the podcast or when we've talked uh, offline but if this murder had happened today I, I mean, there'd be video uh yeah everywhere everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. i mean yeah. that's the one of the biggest parts of our uh you know job as homicide detectives now working fresh cases is um we still interview witnesses but our main Primary focus, uh, you know, on a fresh homicide scene is is, is video. Yeah, you know? ring cams, nest cams, it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And plus it's,
1: social media and everybody's selfies and everything else, you can yeah. assemble a picture of something just from looking at everybody's Facebook page from a particular moment in a particular time. Right.
0: Have you talked to anyone new since we talked to you last? Have you talked to family members you hadn't spoken to before? Anything you can share
2: about conversations about the case? Uh, I I. Um, yes uh that i i can't get into like the uh you know the details of, uh, sure. of interviews with who i've talked to because yeah, of, of course uh, you know i don't have permission from them um, right but yeah i have uh spoken to to people who who knew billy um mm-hmm. and uh you know they're they're still they're hurting still you yeah know? they're, they're this, this are there
1: any leads to are we at a, are we at a standstill now with no, where
2: we're, i feel like i'm at the point now unless somebody comes forward with new information that i've i've turned over every rock i i can Mm. i can i there's no new investigative avenues for me to take um you know his uh billy's um boyfriend at the time Mm -hmm. uh, has been interviewed countless times his story hasn't changed everybody who's been re-interviewed over the years Tells the same story. Normally, if, you know, people are trying to hide something. They'll slip up. They'll make they'll make yeah. mistakes. They'll tell you know, their story. Will Everybody's stories have been completely consistent. So it, yeah, I don't I I don't see where else we have to go with this. Unfortunately, have you looked into
1: the Patrick Kearney stuff that we talked yes, about? Yes, that was I one did. of the most electrifying things I've ever seen. We watched it independently of each other, and I called him and said, "You have to see this right now." Yeah, because. It was so textbook. What happened to Billy? I couldn't believe it. No,
2: I, I, had heard of Patrick Kearney. Uh, hadn't really delved that deeply into his crimes, but then you guys mentioned it to me. I, I started reading about him um, more in depth, and yeah, I mean, that was very, very similar. And then his, his, I guess his boyfriend or, mm-hmm. uh, or, yeah. you know. Was originally arrested and, and arraigned, but then all the charges were dropped. So he mm-hmm. and he kind of disappeared. So that you know, and that was in the seventies. So I was like, well, what happened to him in the yeah. meantime? So right. I did a did a deep dive into David Hill, mm-hmm. and he actually died in oh. early nineteen ninety one in Lubbock, Texas. Okay. Um, he was living in Lubbock, Texas, as far as I can tell, as late. Uh, as December of nineteen ninety, and he he was only fifty one or something. I don't know how he, how he died. Um, there were rumors that he had AIDS. I I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. So, if he you know if he died in early nineteen ninety one, this this murder happened in late nineteen ninety, uh, and he was you know living in Lubbock, Texas in in late nineteen ninety. I I really highly doubt that, that you know, he was...
1: It would be a stretch. Well, it would be it a, a
0: big stretch. And yeah. it seems like another thing to pursue to eliminate him possibly is to find out what his physical appearance was at that time and to have Ron Wheeler see a photograph of him because the the most compelling, not the most compelling thing, but a compelling thing that I think has been turned up is that Ron Wheeler has, by his own account, say if it was not Jeffrey Dahmer, it was a man who looked very much like Jeffrey Dahmer. Right. What Eric has said is that Jeffrey Dahmer's look at the time was very common and popular, particularly in gay communities, yep. sort of masculine mustache, white T-shirt. Yeah. You know, that's what... And so if there was any... But David Hill at that point in his life may have, having been through that ordeal with his boyfriend, whatever yeah. his role was or wasn't, may have, may have been physically a, such a mess
2: that he didn't, Ron Wheeler could easily say, no, that's not the guy. I and the I actually, uh, that was another thing that I was thinking of, and I actually was able to track down a photo of him that was taken in uh, in 1990 or 1991, like right around the time he died, mm-hmm. and he looks absolutely nothing like, like Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. Yeah. Dark hair, uh, he was older, he was in his 50s uh, at that point, um, really thick mustache, uh, just... I mean, there's no way you could mistake this guy for Jeffrey yeah. Dahmer. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it
1: was really—it had more to do with the the method, the mo method of, the EMO yeah. of it. Yeah. The the last the 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 guy, the victim that brought Kearney down, his last communication was telling his parents that he was going to see David. Right, right. So I never—I felt it was really strange. Yeah. But it was like, okay, ollie, ollie, oxen free, bye. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, the guy who was sharing the two-bedroom two, two bedroom house with you was doing all these murders and you didn't notice. Yeah, or, no. I'm no, in no way. Also, com-
0: Patrick's behavior around David, like the deal they made with Patrick Kearney, I was checking our notes, and we talked about this in episode 132 of our podcast here, was that – his deal was conditional on you won't go after David. Like, he was protecting David almost like a submissive would. Yes. And so it did fuel our writers' imaginations in saying, did David go out and find another Patrick who was the one that left the bar with Billy, right? Was he... Because... It did not seem to us like David was let off because there was nothing against him. It was because the grand jury just made this decision and a lot of that was about the deal that was made with Patrick. Yeah,
2: I, I you know, I'm reading all this stuff and obviously I, I didn't have anything to do with the case at the time, yeah. but... It- you know, it did seem like yeah you know, How do you how do you not know just, at least know what was going on if not be a part of that? You know,
1: it just my hair just stood up. I, I just I really this is did. Yeah. this seems like it's too close to to have nothing.
0: The detail that I think got to us was aside from the sexual identity of both of them. Um, was the proficiency with driving long distances in Southern California mm-hmm. and the trash bag disposal yeah. of body parts, dismembered body parts, and the occasional physical resemblance between Billy and a lot of their victims. Sure. Yeah. Now, young blonde guy murdered by a, a same-sex oriented serial killer is not a rare story, unfortunately, in no. this narrow lane. Um, I got I to gotta put you on the spot and tell me if you don't want to answer this, but do you think this is the work of a serial killer? Probably. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think, what we think, too, and I think it's
1: why— It just seems too skilled. Yeah. As it, it, much
0: as it's Billy's story—Billy is a victim, and all victims deserve to have their stories told. I've always felt like the story is larger than Billy.
1: Well,
2: yeah, and, and you know, look at—you uh, know, if you look at the circumstances, if if there hadn't been a transient going through that yeah. dumpster that morning, yeah. Billy would just be a, a missing person because he would have he ended up in whatever dump the rest of his body ended up in yeah. because— the rest of his body, I can only assume, was disposed of, you know, separately in the in in the same way, mm-hmm. uh, far apart, because I know they searched most of the dumpsters in that neighborhood, you know, that right uh, that yes. day, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, and ha- w- there's a ton of cold case missing persons out there from yeah. especially from that time. I mean, uh, people going and, and a lot of people, there's a lot of people who. Uh, went missing and it never got
1: reported missing you right. know because they're they're just out here you know billy was in the process of moving it might right. not have been people might have just assumed he moved but he people went on to, and the people in vegas wouldn't have known to tell the people in sure. la and the people in la wouldn't have known to tell people in vegas it might have gone a long time no before anybody yeah and hollywood was missing.
2: yeah and hollywood is is like the hub for people who are just trying to get away and you know they maybe they're closeted and they want to get mm-hmm. away from their, their oppressive family in right. Missouri or whatever. And they right. just come out here and they, nobody knows. Yeah. I, had, I, I, I connect, A couple of years ago, I connected with a family of a woman from Missouri who came out here and was murdered in 1983. And the detectives at the time uh, weren't able to find her family. Now, with the internet and Ancestry.com and all this, I was able to actually find this, this girl's family. And they had no idea. They had no idea what had happened to her. She just one day disappeared in the 1980s, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and here we are all these years later. So there's, there's a lot of missing people that aren't ever reported missing that end up getting murdered, and you know Billy could have been one of those people. So, yeah.
0: Where is that yeah. information on those missing persons cases? Is it publicly available? Is it something citizen detectives could rifle through in search of victims who look like – or missing persons who look like Billy?
2: Uh, yeah, so there's a, a publicly available database called Name Us. It's N A M. dot U S. and it's mm-hmm. run by the um, the Department of Justice, and it's got a comprehensive listing of missing people going back to huh. I think the early one. Earliest one I know of is like 1920s. So there's two databases. Wow, there's wow. missing. There's mis- or three databases actually. There's missing persons database. There's unidentified remains database and then there's an unclaimed person's database where they know who the person is but they don't have next of kin information so there's those three separate databases and uh you can use anybody any member of the public can go onto those and just search through wow and uh, a couple years ago we identified a, a 50 year 50 year old jane doe uh because somebody had been rifling through that and it and Connected some dots on the internet, and long story short, we identified a, a Jane Doe from from the late 1960s. Is
0: there any scenario you can envision in which the DNA that you do have becomes
1: helpful? Maybe. Um, mm-hmm. it'd be scientific advances. Or yes,
2: we could, I mean we can do things with DNA today that we can't that we couldn't do five years ago, yeah, ten years ago, twenty years ago. You know, the the, the technology is always changing. Um, you know, touch DNA has only been a thing for you know maybe maybe the last decade or so. Right. Uh, before that, they they didn't the, the equipment wasn't sensitive enough to, to pick it up. So right. um, so we we do have this unknown male profile that. Maybe it's the killer, or maybe it was just somebody who thrown out the trash that day.
0: Or is or the transient? I wish it would be a or concern. Or could have been. The, yeah, could have been the because transient. Because if, if we got the choreography right, the transient was dumpster diving, and he is the individual who
2: ripped open this bag yes. in which Billy's severed head was found. Right.
0: So it could be.
2: Could be his. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and, and that'd be really you know fairly easy to track down if we were able to actually connect this this unknown dna with a person. Mm-hmm. So but who's to say in 5 years, you know, we we don't have another advance where we're able to do something with you know with what we yeah. have.
1: Right. Yeah. So that's one of our few left remaining opportunities is improved science yeah and that's what part of what i do the magic photograph that i keep I hoping know. somebody's oh, yeah. going to send us yeah if that would be Billy walking that out would be amazing with the killer that would be astonishing yeah
2: but one of the things i do every you know every few years is i go back in my old cases and look and and see what the status is uh you know do i have dna that that we couldn't deal with back then but that we can deal with now and I consult with the lab and um we actually you know we end up getting dna hits on on certain uh, Mm. things that you know uh we got got one from a 2004 case that we just got a dna hit you know maybe a year and a half ago and we're we're still working on it uh but it was you know dna was a you know it was being used in 2004 but at the time they couldn't do anything with what what they had but then they just you know you just got to wait for the technology to catch up
1: we were looking at a case recently i can't remember who it was where they had very carefully bagged despite the fact that they did not have the technology they had very carefully bagged the evidence and then a long time later, I... I
0: know. We just talked about this on the remember, show, but and they, I can't remember. They, yeah. You know, they,
1: the, the technology came online, and they were able to, because the way it had been dealt with initially, they yeah. were able to to make a, an arrest in, in where none had been. I think it was the one where the the woman was murdered in the parking lot and the boyfriend was held accountable all those years and they discovered it was the guy who lived down the street. Yeah. Do you remember something that like something that. like I that? Remember. I can't we, remember that. We can't remember the specific case. We have case. talked
0: about a lot of cases here on the podcast but, but this it was, is it the was, most the, important the, one. The us, Exceptional by far. thing
1: about it was how skillfully they had yeah. bagged all this evidence when there was nothing, no reason to at the time that they did it. It was a long Cold case. Well, the
0: thing that blew my mind when I when we were talking about this offline is that you said all of the dumpsters in a square mile area were searched. Yeah, I don't know no if no other I don't know body s- parts were. Square, I
2: don't know about square mile. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, it, in the they they picked a radius and, and yeah. went and they sent people out and looked for all these dumpsters and yeah, nothing. nothing yeah, you would so think
1: it would be pretty. They,
2: you know, this guy. I'm assuming it was a guy. You know, uh, obviously spread spread these out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That
0: again again that speaks to the proficiency of whoever was doing it. No, this. yeah,
2: this is this was you yeah. know,
1: this was not this person's first rodeo for sure. God, there's nothing that seems like that to me. The only other thing that has occurred to me as we've gone along is those the all of those sound stages and recording studios in the vicinity of yeah. where the um, the remains were found would be an ideal soundproof place to do something yeah as heinous as that.
0: Yeah. But and you know the the very real fact that once you get outside Jeffrey Dahmer, all of the sort of well-known <laughs> serial killers who were targeting men or queer men um, were not active during this period. No, you uh, had William Bonin was in prison already. Randy Kraft was already in yep. prison, and people bring these names up to us, and I, they say, yeah, they were not they were behind bars literally yeah. accounted yeah. for. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. So David Hill acolyte is maybe the only thing we could even come up with at this yeah. point.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, but... It, it, yeah, I'm I'm at a loss, really. I mean, yeah. This is...
1: Heartbreaking. Yeah,
2: and it's part of part of my job is is having to have these tough conversations with with families about it. like, well, I've gotten I to can't the imagine. gotten to the. I just had one this week with a sister of a, a, a victim uh, from two thousand seven, and and we've been we've been killing ourselves the last couple of years trying to reinvestigate this case. And I finally got to the point where I just this is it. And you know, like, and God, that's hard to have that conversation
1: yeah. with people. You know? I can't imagine. That's brutal. Well, you,
0: you've you got the resources of obsessive podcasters and documentarians, documentarians excuse me, and private <laughs> citizens who give all their free time to us. And we see this story more and more. We just see people who give their whole lives to looking through phone books oh, and, yeah. and shipping records it's amazing, and whatever. And I'm not saying that Eric and I are necessarily that people because we have very busy lives. But this case is not leaving us. You know what yeah. I mean? And I think... The Ron Wheeler thing was so surprising to us and such a shock that we can only hope that there's something else out there like that and that the the digital interconnectedness of the world now is going to call it forth out of the shadows. The thing that I go back to again and again that I think so damaged this case early on was... Probably the unwillingness of certain members of the community to want to talk to the police. Absolutely. You, talk, you hear people's accounts yes. of witnesses at the bar who said, I'll go to the sheriff. No, you go to the sheriff's. And then they go to the sheriff's. They don't go to the LAPD because the body and they don't know. Yeah. And it's just and I hope that we are past that mistrust between the LGBT community and law enforcement to a certain degree that people are not going to withhold what they know about that time and that period and what they might have seen. And I think we saw that with Ron. You know? Oh, yeah, for sure. And and I'm hoping that if we keep getting the word out there about this case, somewhere out there, you know, is. But the, the very real thing I think we always have to acknowledge is that a lot of people um, died of AIDS around this time. Yep. And people who might have seen something, who might have known something, who might have been in the bar that night... Um, they're not well, with us anymore. Just oh.
1: by attrition, a lot of them are already gone. Yeah. Like, that was 32 years ago. Yeah. yeah, A lot of those people have just aged out or, yeah. you know, general attrition of life. The thing that has given me the most encouragement from talking with you is your acknowledgement of the fact that sometimes it's the rando- bit of evidence from yeah. some guy who saw something yep. that time and thinks to mention it and it suddenly blows open a whole new line of investigation that to me remains like the biggest hope here is that maybe just by continuing to remind people of this that we can have as we did with the eyewitness we can have jog somebody's memory and oh yeah there mm-hmm. was that I did go to Halloween that year. I wonder what pictures I do have or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And,
2: and if I can just, you know, make an appeal to your your audience uh this is not the LAPD of of the the even recent past. I mean, mm-hmm. we this there's there's a lot of gay cops. There's a, mm-hmm. I there's at least I know on the LAPD there's at least two transgender cops. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the, this this is not the the all white male uh boys club that that this department used to be. Yeah. you know, we our bread and butter is 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 uh being able to deal with people from all backgrounds, yeah. you know, all all you know, sexuality, religion, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't yeah. care what you do in your private life. If you have information uh that concerns an investigation, we'll be happy to talk to you. We're not going to judge anybody based on, you know, what, you know, who you're attracted to or something stupid. Well,
0: and the other other aspect of this case is that Billy was a known sex worker. He was appearing in porn films. And uh, the thing that I was told right from the beginning talking to sort of older cops is like, we, we never didn't investigate the murder of sex workers. What we would encounter is we'll investigate as long as people talk to us because science played less of a role in those sure. days. And what you often happens when you're investigating a sex worker's murder is that people stop talking to you. Oh, yeah. They won't tell you anything. It's like code of silence around this job that's illegal in yep. certain respects. Porn is not illegal, but other forms of sex work are. Yeah. Or it's yeah. at
1: least something you wouldn't want talked about or yeah. whatever. Taboo, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sort of, yeah, this would be bad for my reputation or sure, my... Yeah. Or my wife would really hate this, yeah, or my yeah, husband, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, J- John, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you taking the time and, out.
1: And for your interest in this case, yeah. and for continuing to, to run down every lead that to its possible furthest extent. It's it's not the best news, but the news is still good that you're continuing to show an interest and have have not left a stone unturned. No,
2: I, I don't think we have, and, and thank you guys for... for you know, putting it putting it on my radar and and mm-hmm. you know uh, allowing me to, to do the reinvestigation that I've done, and even though the results were disappointing, I, I I know now that we've done pretty much as much as we can, you know, absent any new advances in DNA. So I, yeah. I really appreciate you guys for for uh,
1: you know bringing up bringing it to the forefront. Absolutely, we're honored and astounded that we were able to
0: Okay, so it's time for the True Crime TV Club portion of this episode, and it's... Yes.
1: Let's stop. I think we should start with some kind of address of the Billy Newton thing. Like, and the reason we picked this is because of the... Yeah. Because it was un, also... Yeah. Unsolved. Exactly. That's good. Starting again. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so... Um, the true crime TV club that we're going to cover in this episode was not picked by accident. It is um, also a horrible murder of a young person uh, with a lot of loose ends. I don't know if we're going to technically say it's as unsolved as Billy's it, we murder. We thought it
1: was going to be. The, yeah. It was inspired by um, the Billy's tragedy. Um, and uh, we had thought this was going to be not only seasonal, a halloween story but an unsolved crime you'll see that that's not quite the case but it has some similarities and it is unresolved yeah. we can certainly say that yeah. um but that was sort of our, our thoughts in 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 doing that to kind of expand on on uh, the thoughts around you know the impact of unresolved or unsolved crimes on the families of of crime victims. Of victims, indeed.
0: Uh, The the show is called True Crime with Aphrodite Jones. The episode title is A Halloween Horror Story. It is season five, episode three. It's available on Discovery Plus uh, and on their free streaming option, which comes with commercials. Discovery ID is the network. Um, Like we always say here at True Crime TV Club, uh, no requirement that you watch the episode. We're going to serve it up for you in such detail that you will feel like you have seen it anyway. Um, so I, were you
1: familiar with Aphrodite Jones? Apparently she's a true crime writer. I don't really know her. I have seen the, um, I don't know her work as a writer. Yeah. I have seen this special and we've talked about including it on the show for a while. So I was glad that we, we finally found an opening for her.
0: Um, my understanding of the business of true crime reporting is that the, the channels like Discovery ID Um, decimated what used to be a booming industry in paperback, very quick to press, uh, true crime books. And Aphrodite Jones, I think, was a cut above a lot of the writers who worked in this field. But so there's always been this attempt to establish some kind of relationship that's closer to a symbiosis between these reporters and the TV industry that basically has endangered their industry or their livelihood. So I think-
1: (laughs) or certainly encroached on it.
0: So Aphrodite Jones has this show. There were some other shows that that you can find in the archives on Discovery ID. So this is a story that takes place in Houston, Texas. The episode itself begins with Eric Shawquinn's least favorite device, which is a flash backwards from a moment of intense conflict. Um, it's November 1999. We meet a married couple,
1: which I think is probably attributable to Aphrodite's telling of the story as she would have written it yeah. had this been one of her books
0: uh, Carrie and L- they they spell it out Lucio but they call him Lou throughout the episode I think Lou Ruiz are setting out from their Houston home blinded by rage and carrying a loaded 38 why well that's why Aphrodite Jones has come to Houston Texas to find out why and then we flash backwards into even though the she knows story. perfectly
1: well why wouldn't well why or she wouldn't be in Houston Texas in the first place exactly
0: uh, we flash back to the spring of 1999, to the middle class to a middle-class neighborhood that is never identified by name, I don't think, uh, outside Houston, Texas. There, Carrie and Lou live with their 17-year-old daughter, Felicia, who is a senior at Eisenhower High School. She is described as having grown up from a chubby kid into a beautiful young woman. We're introduced to her close friend, Isabel Medina, who is interviewed in the present as this episode is being put together. She tells us that Felicia once had trouble at school with a girl named April who was a bitch and a bully to her, my words, because April liked Felicia's boyfriend, Casey. Uh, Casey isn't flirting with April or leading her on, but he is attractive and white, and therefore tends to stand out. Because there at aren't their any white school.
1: boys in their school.
0: Yeah, that was one of those like attractive and white lumped together like that was sort of like okay, not my words. That's the words they
1: use. They... But he was a more exotic. Yeah. In them. their in their environment, it was a, I yeah. guess a largely Latino high school, and yeah, he was uh, not, and so. The girls were taken with him, and he was apparently a charmer.
0: Yeah. A lot of reenactments in this one. A lot of reenactors. Not much dialogue, so it didn't really punch my buttons, but yeah. Um, But April one day just full-on assaults Felicia while she's waiting for the bus, while the two of them are waiting for the school bus, as a result of this fight, which is depicted as being hideous with the worst fake blood I've ever seen used on one of these specials. Um, April is expelled, And Lou and Carrie decide to pull Felicia out of school. Now she's almost finished school, so this means she's spending the last few months of senior year. Being, I'm Eric Shawquinn is giving major face, which indicates
1: he hears a story here. This is is one of those. We'll just go through the story and then we can come back to me. But I just, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh huh. Sure.
0: She begins studying at home for her GED. She continues to see Casey. But she simultaneously makes a new friend in Jesus Salazar, who is 18, a flirt, and very much into her. But Jesus is already involved with a woman named Lisa Huerta, who's 19, and just moved there from San Antonio to live with her mom. Uh-huh. Casey and Felicia sometimes go and hang out with Jesus and his buddies, and Lisa hates her, which we see in several really awkward reenactments where Lisa gives her major face, kind of like you really? were just giving the show yes, notes. Yes, I
1: was doing my Lisa in person. You were doing your Lisa Huerta. Lisa Huerta.
0: Yes, exactly. Um,. We're introduced to Kim Og, who is a gang expert in Houston. Apparently, an expert on Latino gangs, even though she is whiter than me, covered in a carton of milk. Absolutely, she, she tells was, us. Okay, sure, whatever you say, lady. Uh, whatever, white lady tells us. Street gangs at the time were made up of young people, not hardened criminals. Again, we're talking about nineteen ninety nine, the good the old day.
1: days of gang life in Houston, <laughs> the go go
0: nineties. Exactly. Right. Um, So Jesus asks Felicia to become a Latin queen, which is the female branch of their gang. And allegedly, she is really not interested in it, but she researches it. And her father, in a reenactment now, catches her reading a book on the history of the Latin kings. And he's really not pleased, but it doesn't really matter because she is not going to join the gang. It's the end of October. Halloween weekend is near. Uh, Her high school equivalency exam is a week away and she wants to be an ultrasound technician and everything seems to be on track. But rumors begin to circulate that Casey and Lisa Huerta are sleeping together and as a result, she has a big reenacted fight with Casey where they both accuse the other one of being irrational and emotional and Casey storms out of the house. That night... Felicia puts in a shift at a fast food restaurant where she works. Her parents pick her up
1: from work. The first mention we've heard of her having a job. Mm-hmm. So the story was told in a really interesting way. <laughs> and
0: Eric's got big opinions about it, Lots I'm sure. Lots of them. So her parents pick her up, and on the ride home, she says she really wants to go to this big Halloween party because all of her friends from high school will be there. Her parents cave. They say yes. It's nearly midnight when she gets picked up. I'm like, wow, okay. So it's like 11.30. Doesn't
1: even leave for the party until midnight. Two guys show up in a car. She hops in the back and off they go.
0: Carrie, her mother, is out on the lawn, I think, when she gets picked up. Or she's shown being out on the lawn in a reenactment, which we've learned here you cannot always trust when right. it comes to the facts of the case. Um, she says she recognizes one of the guys in the car but not the other. And that guy is Jesus Salazar, who she has, ar- whose gang invitation she has already rejected, allegedly. The car drives off. Felicia, not Felicia, the mom. Felicia, not the
1: mom. That would be a way different story. Very different. The Yes, the, <laughs> the Latin dowager empresses. Right, exactly. So uh, Carrie, I, I already read that part. The car
0: drives off, and that, unfortunately, is the last time Felicia's parents see her alive. By 1.30 a.m., she's not home as promised. Uh, her father wakes up for work at 5. She's still not home. Carrie is a nervous wreck. Uh, Her father's not nervous. He thinks 5 a.m. she met someone. She's out partying. She's 18. You know, like whatever. (laughs) You know. Mm. Yeah. All right. So meanwhile, three miles away, two detectives are called to the scene of a corpse discovery. They are Detective Stephen Strotter, who is interviewed, and Aphrodite Jones sits down with him, and his partner Reuben Anderson, who was not interviewed. Uh, The body is female, it's face down, and it's very young, which Detective Strotter says is the last case they ever want to get called to. Even worse, her jaw is broken, her throat is cut, and her frail body, as it's described, has been stabbed 26 times, so deeply that the knife cut into the ground under her. Um, Meanwhile, Carrie has gone to the police to file a missing persons report. Um, And the two are quickly connected.
1: Yeah, when the dad gets home from work and she she hasn't returned, they decide to go seek the police's help. And the police have already found her and eventually the two elements converge.
0: Uh, And Carrie tells the cops right away that Jesus Salazar was one of the guys who picked up her daughter for the party. Word of the murder spreads. Friends gather at the house, including Jesus who again according to a reenactment walks up to this gathering and Felicia's parents just lose their shit. What are you doing here? You murdered my daughter. Get him out of here. The other friends surround Jesus who is claiming innocence in this moment and hold him until the police come and arrest him or they take him in for questioning. I don't remember I don't know if it was a, they didn't charge him, but they just bring him in for questioning and he goes along. Um probably to get
1: away from those parents.
0: Right. <laughs> um, he flatly denies that he picked her up for the party okay so that and I can't I don't know I didn't take notes about any of the other questioning I think he, he doesn't really admit to anything I think he says he wasn't even with her blah 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 I didn't have anything to do with it we're introduced to Julian, uh, Julian excuse me Ramirez
1: who... <laughs> we've gotten in the habit of saying things that way so we're gonna call him Julian, Julian that's not his name
0: that's not his name he's a Harris County prosecutor uh, he tells us the police, as they're questioning um, Jesus, are noticing that his hands are swollen and have cuts. Uh, then they sudden the detectives suddenly get a, kip, a tip, excuse me, and a point that is not very well fleshed out, that Casey has been sharing details with his friends at school about how Felicia died and there are details that have not been shared with the public and when they go to question Casey about this the details
1: being that she was
0: stabbed right it's he says not
1: to, that unique
0: but he says to the detectives that he refers to the stabbing and they claim we didn't say she was stabbed or that's how she was killed so you're right it's not like you know
1: a unique method of murder right it was like yeah. she was stabbed and then they cut off two of her fingers and spelled out yeah um, something with them. Yeah, that's not what happened. It's not a very unique element. And so April, the old... Kind of hard to keep secret. The
0: old bully April uh, is ruled out. So she was simply brought in as a red herring at the beginning of the episode because that's where we started with April beating up uh, Felicia at a bus stop. Um, yeah, I, I'm just... in I got to find out why that detail really stuck with you because I am intrigued. Okay, because I have no opinions about this story. It's just like, okay. Anyway. So at the funeral home, this is a horrible uh, chapter of this story, but it's taken for— uh, This her-
1: is my favorite part of the whole story. It's for—why is it your
0: favorite? Just go ahead and okay. tell this part of the story. It's I'll taken
1: forever to
0: embalm Felicia's body because of all the wounds. Oh, not that. That's yeah. not
1: my favorite part of the story, no.
0: And when Lou and Carrie emerge from the funeral home— Lisa Huerta is sitting in a car, waving the obituary for my Felicia and the saying, your daughter's famous now, huh? And laughing. My God, Jesus
1: Christ. Okay. And so the reenactment. Just the most hideous. And this is why they got a gun and we're going for it. This her. is why. They hey. were waiting for her at the funeral home, hanging out the window of the car, driving around right. them and waving the newspaper with the obit and it saying, she's famous now. Nah, she's in God. the newspaper like, Jesus Christ, Lisa. Wow, what a bitch.
0: The detectives question her. They question Lisa, obviously, because Jesus Christ. Because my God. Because what the fuck is wrong with you? Um, and they find her cocky. <laughs> their description I was like yeah I would at say least, so at yeah, least a little bit <laughs> malevolent and cocky on the way so they pick her up and they say we're going to take you down to the station and ask you some questions they just pull over and stop and they're at the murder scene but they don't tell her it's the murder scene and she completely loses her shit she
1: loses her fucking she's
0: mind. like why did you bring me here oh my god um but by the time they get to the station and they say, why'd you get so upset, huh? We didn't tell you what it was. She says it was on the news and she claims she figured it out. Again, like you pointed out with the stabbing, it's not the most detailed. It's not the most specific. It's not a unique thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, Casey is cleared. Remember the boyfriend, Casey? He is cleared because it turned out. he Because had, he's white. He, right. I was like, he had overheard details of the murder from his gang friends. I'm like, Okay, like, it gets back to what you were saying. The story is being told to us out of sequence. Like, who's he talking to, and who knows the details, and why are they not? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, Suddenly, the, the two main suspects, Jesus and Lisa, are on the run. And that's how we get to Lou and Carrie in a gun on their way to Lisa's grandmother's house in San Antonio because that's the only information they've been able to get about Lisa. She recently moved there from San Antonio. Her mother, her grandmother still lives there. So they're going to go meet her grandmother with the gun. That's charming and that is summed up as they didn't find her and I'm like, well wait we're not gonna get grandmother reenactment
1: and they just, and they just <laughs> and that was God's way of keeping right. us from doing this because I'm at be under the jail the mom says or
0: the grandmother met you on the porch with a shotgun like I don't know I want to know how that story really played out or the cops got to them first and talked some sense into them I don't know just think okay. After two weeks, a witness comes forward. He's reluctant and afraid, and he says he uh, uh, has heard that he's a guy named Jay Farrell. Is that right? No, there's another witness who leads them to a gentleman named Jay Farrell and jay farrell has told this witness that jesus and lisa were the killers and he was just a bystander he didn't know what was going to happen he owed jesus a favor and so he helped jesus get a car to pick up felicia in that night then jay and lisa went to the field that was the murder scene to meet him and jay and lisa went crazy and stabbed felicia over and over again so this leads the cops to the actual jay farrell uh, he agrees to testify, claiming, as the witness said, that he was just a bystander. They release him without charges, which is bold, and issue felony murder arrest warrants for Lisa and Jesus. Two months after the murder, Lisa calls in via an attorney and wants to make a deal, because it turned out a few weeks after the murder, Jesus abandoned her in Miami. We're going to find out how and why, and it's a pretty rich story, but... Um, her deal that she makes with cops requires her to testify about the murder and Jesus' possible whereabouts. So she comes in. She tells them the whole story that the Friday before Halloween, she rented a room with Jay Farrell and Jesus. She brought weapons, including a knife and a baseball bat that wasn't ultimately used in the crime. Oh Yeah. Jesus and, uh, and Lisa both now have a beef with Felicia... Because Jesus feels Felicia disrespected him by refusing to join the Latin kings. And Lisa has always hated her because Jesus clearly is into Felicia and has made no secret about that. Allegedly in this meeting, Jesus describes how the quickest way to kill someone is to cut their throat, which is what happened to Lisa. The night of the murder, Lisa testifies that she made the first cut. Then she panicked and Jesus took the blade. She testifies that Jay actively held Felicia down, that he was not a bystander, that he was involved in the murder. She is sentenced to 30 years and according to her deal, Jay is found guilty of first degree murder and sentenced to 20 years. So obviously he didn't have a great deal. And the
1: reason. Well, and lied to the Belize.
0: And this was the part of the story that w- I, w- I sat up. The reason for the Miami split was that it turned out that Jesus' father worked for Hugo Chavez's oil company. And he was basically able to smuggle Jesus out of the country because he was born in Venezuela, but not Lisa, because she's an American citizen and she would have raised red flags with customs or whatever passport control they went through. Um, and oh, by the way, Venezuela has no extradition treaty.
1: So With the United States, anyway.
0: Carrie and Lou, who were willing to load a gun and go confront the grandmother of the woman they thought murdered their daughter, have been trying now for years to get the attention of the government to this case. They finally get the attention of the Venezuelan ambassador who says they'll agree to extradite if the authorities or the prosecutors in Houston agree to a sentencing limit of 30 years because that's the most you can get for murder in Venezuela. And the Harris County Prosecutor's Office will not accept the 30-year limit. So nothing is happening. No attempt is being made to get this guy, Jesus. He's somewhere in Venezuela. He's apparently been spotted there. And then the special ends with a sort of improvised wanted flyer, it looks like, saying that Jesus was born on October 6, 1981. He's 5'10". He was last seen in Venezuela and has possibly visited the U.S. If you have info, please contact the U.S. Marshals. Eric Shaw Quinn, what is your take on this story? I am dying to know.
1: I, this is one of those, like, I, I think that my, my reaction to the story was, and it, based on my own experience of the way human beings are, if mm-hmm. there is a person in the world and something just keeps happening to them, again and again and again with different people, maybe it's not other people. Maybe mm. it's you. Mm-hmm. I think Felicia was trouble. Mm. She had that fight with that girl at school over a boy. She had that fight with Lisa over a boy. I would be interested to hear how many fights over a boy Felicia had had mm. by the time we got to the, whatchamacallit, I'm not doing the blame the victim thing because it's not okay that they cut her throat and stabbed her to death. It was but him. I'm, But I'm also saying... That Felicia is being presented as though she was this
0: yeah. innocent
1: little, mm-hmm. um, you know, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. The Swedish girl just lit up a room. They always say that about people yeah. after they're dead. And I, you know, I understand and. You know, it's it's tough to lose somebody that you care about. and But the parents don't seem like they're any charmers. They were delighted to get a gun and go to grandma's house over mm-hmm. the river and through the woods to kill some girl because she disrespected them at a funeral. There is an atmosphere in and around all of this mm-hmm. that just doesn't seem to be being covered yeah. in this story. Right. Um. I don't know what happened with she and um, Lisa and uh, Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I, what was described is not adequate right. to describe the response that she got. That's
0: that's what I thought. It, there is rage in this killing, and Did there is stem somebody
1: twenty six times so hard that the blade goes all the way into the ground. Rage from two different people right.
0: who are not presented as having had the same experience of this woman. And what I the story that I heard is she slept with Jesus, and this was how Jesus was going to get Lisa back. Like that, that was the story that I heard and that he had to prove himself to his girlfriend and he had to prove that she was the most important one. And I just thought there's, there's a
1: whole story missing here. Or there was something, she was going to be a Latin queen and she did something that put her on the outs with the gang. And it was a gang killing because she did something wrong or ratted them out or Mm -hmm. told something or, you know what I mean? Like there was just a part, a huge part of this story that's missing. And the part that's missing is Felicia.
0: Yeah. Totally. Um,
1: the investigation was crap. Mm-hmm. The fact and the presentation of it was not much better. Yeah. The su- sudden, sudden. Re- she was at a job. When did she get a job? That was never mentioned before. And my favorite part of the whole story was after Lisa comes in, mm-hmm. she reveals to them that there was no Halloween party, and I'm like. I'm sorry. That wasn't the first thing they discovered mm-hmm. in the investigation. Mm-hmm. Like either Aphrodite left it out, right? Or worst police investigation ever. If there was no Halloween party, like the first thing you would do if you were looking for a missing person's person was go to the the people who were at the Halloween party. Who was hosting it? Who was there? Talk to people. See if you can establish her whereabouts. Yeah. yeah. None of that was ever done apparently, Mm -hmm. because there was no Halloween party. But nobody realized that until Lisa told them. Yeah. They just drove her to a field. She thought she was going to a party, but there was no Halloween party. So it was incredibly um, a setup. And Lisa did the murdering. Yeah Lisa killed that girl. Like yeah. I, I think Jesus probably held her down. Um, mm-hmm. but I think Lisa did the killing on that. Lisa was anybody who would go to a, the, a girl's funeral and hang out the window of a car. and yeah
0: Well, here's the thing, and I think this is like we had our, our loss of innocence moment when we discovered, I can't even remember a perfect murder, how extensively they had straightwashed a, a, a gay man who had been murdered by another man at a pickup spot. These specials lie. All the time. They just lie. They just change facts. They don't want to present the story as it is. They don't think it's entertaining. But I think what also happens a lot with these specials is they shape the special around who they are able to talk to. And this is really about these two parents who made some questionable decisions in the course of I this. mean everything yeah. that
1: they did. Like the fact that after she beat up that girl at school and the girl got expelled, then they just took her out of school and she went for a yeah. GED. That's – that smells. There's yeah. something else going on with that. Felicia was a lot more problematic than Felicia's being Felicia's being presented as. She didn't deserve her fate. I am never yeah, going. No, to that. I don't say know that. if anybody
0: does deserve that fate, that fate. But, but Jesus yeah. Christ!
1: But I do not. I did not get the sense that she was this innocent little. Victim of other people's aggression and unpleasantness.
0: And there's a difference between giving um, an intelligent 30,000-foot view of a crime story that that doesn't— it's not necessarily about parceling out blame, but it's about giving the people who are watching all of the facts that are available to you. And I think on some level we consume these stories because we are looking to protect ourselves— but we are also watching them as moral spectators when we are looking to see what attributes, uh, what failings led people down a dark path. And that can apply to the victim as well as the criminal. And that's sure. not blaming the victim. No. And an, an adult mature analysis of other people's behavior is not about victim blaming. No, You know, it's about it's about telling the complete story. And I think when the story is twisted to an agenda or a bias, as often happens with these specials, you walk away with this feeling of like, I I just wasn't told the truth. Like, there are just chunks in that missing.
1: Yeah. And this was one of those stories. I just felt like, I think the big picture is clear. Yeah. I think the murderer actually is in jail. I think it's Lisa. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus was certainly a part of it and should, you know, be punished as well if they can capture him. But I think she was the instigator and the person who committed the crime. Yeah. Like... So who broke her jaw? Like, if her jaw was broken, how did that happen? Yeah,
0: totally. I
1: just, there was so...
0: Yeah. It was
1: just too, there was too many parts missing from that story. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway.
0: Anyway, so this was obviously a big episode for us. I want to remind everybody, as we discussed the William Newton case earlier and interviewed Detective Lamberti, that uh, we remain the operators of an email address for anyone who might have facts, tips, or recollections of uh, William Newton, who knew him in West Hollywood. Or, or
1: photography or videos or whatever from that particular Halloween. Because West
0: Hollywood Halloween Street Festival that happened in October of 1990. That's, that would be the date that we are looking at. Because the yes. last
1: sighting would have been walking from rage back to his house. Or somewhere, somewhere with whoever he left rage with. That seems to be the salient thing. And if we could find a picture of that, that would be great.
0: That would be great. That email address is William Newton Investigation at gmail.com. I'll say it again for those of you who are writing it down. William Newton with a T investigation at gmail.com. And it is open. And you should be aware that whatever is shared with us. At that address will be shared with Detective Linberry with the LAPD. And if
1: you don't want your name shared or anything, please say so. We will respect your right to, to exactly. privacy. If you do, if you want to be anonymous, that's perfectly fine with us. We're not out to violate anybody's privacy. Yeah.
0: Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Quinn And you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher and Eric.
1: Thanks. <laughs>